Hello folks and welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier and of course improving your triathlon performance. And before I introduce this week's guest I'd like to say thank you so much to everyone who made a donation to the High Performance Human Podcast this week. We had a record number of donations and we wanted to say a thank you to all of you as well as give a specific shout out to longtime listener David Jones for his generous donation. We appreciate this and all of your donations which ensure we can keep operating the podcast. Now this week I'm joined once again by our favourite triathlon journalist Tim Hemming. Tim and I will be discussing recent triathlon events such as the success for GB athletes at the Olympics and the upcoming World Triathlon Series Grand Final. We also look ahead to the 70.3 and Ironman World Championships, as well as the Paralympics starting this week, where GB has eight medal chances in the para-tri events. Finally, we chat about what Olympic success means for the long-term health of British triathlon, and we look forward to seeing new talent emerge, which we talk about in next year's Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So, without further ado, let's crack on and get chatting with Tim. Welcome back to the High Performance Human Podcast, Tim Hemming. Hi, Simon. How are you? I'm good. Now, you're looking a little different. The beard's a little bushier than last time you were on, I think. Uh, possibly, yeah. The hair might be a little bit shorter as well. I grew it out for a while, lockdown and all that. As the beard's not uh, a lockdown response then, and it's not it's not coming off anytime soon? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Possibly. Possibly. I'm okay. glad you like it, though. I, uh, I cycled with a friend the other day. I've not seen him since we went skiing before lockdown, and his beard was like cat weasel. It was long and hairy. I mean, it suited him, actually. But the day after we'd got back from that trip, he was having it all shaved off because he said it um, it had had its purpose now. Uh, strong start to the podcast, as always. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not just about triathlon, but we are going to talk about triathlon. It's uh, It's been a while Um since we've caught up and there's been a lot of stuff happening hasn't there thankfully you know what much what really much for us to talk about in 2020 but we've got lots lots that's been going on and lots that's coming up so um where are we going to start well certainly lots that's uh, certainly lots that's coming up um and obviously we've had some huge huge events that have happened with the olympic games and and, and that big build up to that mm. and then i suppose all of the racing that was sort of squeezed into a short period before that from a professional perspective. Mm. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's coming thick and fast now. Probably the easy way to go chronologically, isn't it? Well, let's, let's talk about what's, what's happened so far then. So the Olympics, I mean, uh, I think we did better than I expected there. How about you? Oh, I think that was a successful, that was a successful Olympic games for British triathlon. We've been spoiled since the last two two Olympics, haven't we? With 2012, 2016, it's usually spoiled. So no, well, we've obviously gold in the mixed relay this time, two silvers from Alex E and Georgia Taylor-Brown. I think that's a fair return. And I think that's a return that the, you know, British triathlon team and the high performance department will, will have been very happy with. Justifies mm. the funding, justifies the funding going forward. And... They look strong, particularly on the women's side, for Paris and Alex Yee, of course, probably at this point in time, would be your favourite for the gold medal in Paris as well. Yeah, because of of course it's only three years until that one, not four years, so not your normal 
cycle. Still, still a bit of time for um, some people to drift off the scene and new ones to come on, but but not as much as a normal Olympic cycle, really. Exactly. But then we thought the last Olympic cycle was only going to be four years, and it turned out to be five. So who knows <laughs> what's going to happen ahead of Paris? Yes. Or the distance they'll be racing. It looks like the course is going to be somewhere close to the Eiffel Tower. So unfortunately, it looks like there's going to be another flat course. But mm. whether it will be sprint or standard distance, I think still remains to be seen. They've tried a couple of times, haven't they, to shorten the distance to sprint from standard? What is it? Is it more of a political decision than it is a sporting one, do you think? Or is it down to TV coverage? My understanding of it is the sports in the Olympic Games there's a keen eye on how much of a, let's say, broadcast response they get. And mm-hmm. I suppose when we say broadcast, that's broader now. That's probably social media and general chatter around it. And all of the sports are very conscious of this because the IOC, when they select the sports, want the most popular ones. Triathlon, rightly or wrongly, from Marisol Casado down, has the opinion that shorter, for people with shorter attention spans, is more exciting and it's better. And and I think that's where the drivers come in to go. You know, the, the obvious one is to go from a standard distance to a sprint distance at the Olympic Games. Whether that will happen remains to be seen. I know um, Marisol Casado wanted that to happen for Tokyo, but there was some pushback. And so we will see whether it, whether it happens for Paris. My personal uh, take on it is I would want it to stay the same, standard distance, over 40K, over over 10K run. When people tune in and see the Olympics for the first time, that's the thing they marvel at is the endurance feats. When they saw Christian Blumenfeld collapsing over the line and vomiting on the blue carpet, <laughs> they were amazed about how he'd been able to go in that heat for an hour and 40 plus of racing because so many of the other Olympic Games events are short. That's what draws people to the sport. I think we're in danger of losing that if we go shorter and shorter. Yeah, and of course, it's not like the marathon where you are watching athletes doing one sport for that amount of time, is it? It's effectively three sports rolled up into one. And there's a lot of action taking place during the swim. Um, There's a lot of action taking place during the bike. And then when you see that war of attrition on the run, that in itself is is um, a sort of an event worth Olympic viewing, isn't it? It's just seeing who can hold on to the pace and who who's going to tough it out. And you know, like Blumenfeld did this year, and Alistair's done in previous years. Who, who's going to prevail under under the under the five rings? Well, I think so, and I also think you know, once every four or as it were five years, people are prepared to sit down and watch a, a triathlon for that amount of time. You know, they may not tune into every World Series event that's Olympic or standard distance, but I think for the Olympic Games, they they will. And if that draws new people into the sport and they want to have a go, then all the better. Yes, things have changed, haven't they, since the very first UK televised triathlon, which was effectively the Mike Pig show. It was two hours of watching one guy swim at the front, cycle at the front and run at the front and um, I think Phil Liggett tried to do his best to liven it up, but uh, still, when you're just watching one man on a bike, it's not very interesting. Well, Phil Phil Liggett's back, isn't he? Because he is going to be the head, whatever you call it, commentator or anchor for the Collins Cup in Samarin in Slovakia. Well, great segue there. Um, Collins Cup coming up in uh, a couple of weeks' time. Um, let's talk about that because that's named after the uh, the people who 
formed the idea of Iron Man. John Collins, of course, and his wife were the were the people who started all that in, in 1978. But it's not going to be an iron distance event, is it? No, it's shorter than it's shorter than a middle distance event. It's shorter than 70.3. Um, not much shorter, but just just slightly. I think it's John and Judy Collins to give her a name check. Yes. Lovely couple. I met them still um, all these years later. I mean, he was a Navy commander based in Hawaii. And I think some of his, for those people who don't know the story of Iron Man and people like you and I that are vested in the history of, of the sport, sat around like you do, having a couple of beers one night and talking about where the swimmers were fitter than cyclists or swimmer fitter than runners. And John Collins said, well, why don't we have a race to see? We'll do the Hawaii rough water swim in Waikiki Bay. We'll do the um, Hawaii round the island cycle route. And then we'll run the Honolulu Marathon course. And whoever finishes that and finishes first will be an Ironman. And there you go. I think it was 13 or 14 guys rocked up onto the beach um, in various states of, uh, of dress and, and kit. And uh, all male to start with. And yeah, and that is how a global icon was born. Yep, certainly is. And uh, yeah, so the, the, the Collins Cup is then taking taking their name and it's a head-to-head-to-head format, USA versus Europe versus rest of the world or the internationals, if you like. Mm. And there'll be six men's matches and six women's matches. And it is just that. It's a bit like, um, it's a bit like match playing golf, so sort of yeah. modelled on the Ryder Cup. And whoever wins the matches wins the points or wins more points. And if they also win by a defined margin, sort of six minutes, four minutes, two minutes, they also can score some bonus points. So you've got you've got four athletes for each four males and four females for each of those three teams that qualified by ranking points that, that the P professional triathlete organization have, have been running. And then you've got two more for each team that are captain's picks. Is that right? So two more males, two more females making up the six in each team. Yeah, that's correct. The, the Collins cup is really the professional triathletes organization, which has gone through a few iterations, but the most recently is uh, big funding from Mike Moritz, who's you know, one of the richest men in the world. Wales is richest man, if you like, but based in the in the states now. And he's taken an investment punt on this and pumped in millions of pounds. The professional triathletes organisation is born from that, um, or it's evolved from that, should we say? And the Collins Cup, they did do Challenge Daytona with a big prize purse at the end of, of in December last year. But the Collins Cup is a, I think there's $1.5 million they're paying out for the for the athletes that are going to be in attendance, which is 36 of them. And it's a big, a lot of money has been spent on the broadcast. I think it's been, been live, live all over the world, but Eurosport and BT Sport, I think, are some of the rights holders for that. And I know they've got cameras following all of the action. So what you were saying about just following the front Mike Pig on a bike, I think it's going to be quite a bit different from that. They're hoping to make it absolutely spectacular. It's in Slovakia in Samarin, and they really need it to get some traction with the viewers. So that's the, uh, that's the plan. We got any British athletes that got in the Europe team? Lots. Yeah, lots and lots. I mean... Other than, see, the USA have their own team, so they have 12 athletes. But other than that, I think Britain are probably 
the next best represented nation. There are, well, the Auss- Aussies possibly in the, in, in the rest of the world, but the, the, the Brits that are going to be taking part in that, there's four women. So you've got Lucy Charles Barkley and Holly Lawrence. Mm-hmm. They were automatic qualifiers. Then you, the captain's picks are Katrina Matthews and Emma Pallant-Brown, mm-hmm. who is, all, you know, Emma's actually on great form. I think she's won five of the last seven races. And on the men's side, uh, Joe Skipper was an automatic pick. Mm-hmm. So so he's going. And um, George Goodwin, uh, who has been, who is the European Ironman 70.3 champion, he unfortunately just just missed out and didn't get a captain's pick either. Mm. So plenty of plenty of British interest, right? And and of the notables that are racing in the other two teams, I mean, we've got Fredino, I think we've got Daniela Reef, we've got uh, Lionel Sanders. Yep, you've got all the big names for non-drafting triathlon are there, so they've all got their invites. If they're fit, they're going to go because this isn't a prize money event. This is um, an appearance money. So. If you're you get your you get your money paid on where you are in the world rankings, and it works down from from one to eighteen for for, for each for the for the men and for the women. So Jan Fredino will get the most money for going, and then all the way down to the eighteenth ranked um, man who gets paid. So you just get paid for turning up. So as long as people can, so whatever form or fitness they're in, we might not find out until the day, mm. which is where although Team Europe is looks on paper to be the strongest by certainly the strongest the strongest by a distance some people will 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 argue the different format and the way that athletes don't may not necessarily peak for this event could change things could change things around i guess the other the interesting picks are the captain's picks on the u.s women's side because they've gone for uh katie safiris who won the bronze medal in the olympic individual event and the silver in the mixed team relay and taylor nib who also won a silver medal mm. in the Olympic mixed team relay. So they've gone for short course specialists, but the US women's team, the automatic picks would be, I don't think it's unfair to say they were probably one of the automatic picks, are probably one of the weakest. So those two additions probably give them a bit more firepower. Definitely they've, give them a bit more firepower. Yeah, they've got Chelsea Sodaro racing, haven't they? And I did a podcast with Chelsea earlier on this year she was top of the rankings last year i think or second but in march she had her first child and pto have been running this um documentary with her returning to fitness aiming to race i think she had to do one race to be sure of her selection based on her points and clearly she's done that um but trying to get back to fitness having having given birth and only with three or four months to do that. So it'd uh, be interesting to see um, how she is on race day. Yeah, the PTO have a maternity policy. Uh, so they keep athletes in the rankings and, and, and keep paying them, mm. um, which is which I think is quite unique ar- around professional sports. So they've implemented this, um, which is a, definitely a good move. And so, yeah, you, your illustration there of, of Chelsea Sodaro, uh, she's yeah came back, proved her fitness, and so she takes a place on the team. Well, we'll make a reference to that um, documentary as well. I've seen the first one. It was great. It was just as she was expecting to give birth and, and hadn't um, had the baby yet. I've not seen the others since, but um, I guess the, the, the Collins Cup was the big goal at the end of it. So that'll probably be episode four or five. Bill, be the culmination. If she hadn't made it, then I don't know what they'd have done with those last two episodes. <laughs> yeah, the PTO have been putting out some quite good 
quite good footage, some quite high quality broadcast stuff. They've got a, a film Beyond Human that they put out in two parts as well. And all this stuff's available to watch online. So yeah, should go and check it out if you're interested. Yeah, they've done they've done quite a few good documentaries on our um on our athletes as well, haven't they? I think uh, um they did a good one with Lucy Charles Barkley. Um I think they did a good one with Johnny Brownlee as well at one point and Alistair. So uh yeah, they've they have been they have been doing pretty well on the social media and definitely trying to make it more athlete friendly, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. They definitely did, do that. Yeah, I, um, I, Super League do it as well. I, I did struggle to to sort of work out how after they'd started using Michael Moritz's money to you know fund some of the races that they were backing. They did the Helvellyn race last year, didn't they? I think they did Holcombe as well, where they put up prize money. Um, how they were going to then continue to get funds. But obviously, if they've managed to sell TV rights to Eurosport, then they're going to be getting some money back in for that. And um, I guess if if the viewing rights are there or the viewing figures are there, then that will help to sustain the income aside from a generous benefactor. Yeah, I think the broadcasting rights is something of a game of poker. So whether they've actually, Eurosport have actually paid them any money, I don't know. And that's probably a closely guarded secret. Obviously, the intention for, for, for PTO, when you look at how they are going to get revenue, can only really come through advertising and, and broadcasting rights. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they need people watching this and they need to boost those figures. Um, that really is their, their whole model. So as well as the Collins Cup, expect to see more events um, and expect to see more events of a, of a high of a high broadcast quality to try, and, to try and keep the fans coming in. Because if they don't, then how do they make the revenue and you know yeah. does that funding eventually and i know that's you know it's a very deep pot but again it's not a, it's not a bottomless pot and um Maritz, you know is a is a uh, a savvy investor so he's not going to just keep throwing cash at it forevermore yeah the daytona race that you mentioned that happened at the end of last year they used um, a lot of their nascar experience to provide the coverage on that one didn't they and they used um, did, they, did they not use some well-known tv sports presenters over in the u.s that weren't necessarily triathlon based they turned to um they turned to nascar for the coverage you know i think the venue at daytona is set up to be able to provide that mm. you obviously have a closed off circuit as well which makes life easier to some um some respect so they, they certainly leaned on them for that I don't know how happy or unhappy they were with that. You know, I watched the race, thought it was a good race, but whether it was attracted legions of new fans, I don't know. Mm. Um, they had some American anchors and also, yeah, not non-triathlete. I think Rowdy Gaines, who is a who's a swimmer, an ex-swimmer, and also um, summarizes a lot in the, in the U.S. kind of swimming and Olympic coverage. He was he was involved. And then they had some old triathlon faces. Up. Blend, well, I shouldn't say old, but Belinda Granger and Kevin McKinnon were there doing some, uh, you know, on the on the hop type stuff with the mic. Yeah, Belinda might might take issue with you about calling her old, <laughs> but certainly well known then. Yeah, well known. All right, so that's the Collins Cup. Now, just one more thing before we uh, wrap up on that one. You talked about it being a format similar to match play now in the Ryder cup when they have the singles on the final day you don't just get your number one uh number one ranked player playing from the europe and uh and, and ireland playing the number one from the us do you the captains can pick them in different orders and then they release them together and you could be rory McElroy playing against um i don't know tiger woods tiger woods yeah 
So how's it going to work in this one here? Are the captains going to order their athletes differently and then just bring them together? So Fadino might not necessarily be rematching against Lionel Sanders, might he? No, and that's uh, so. So the the pick, the race itself is on Saturday, the twenty eighth of August. The opening ceremony is on the Wednesday, and then the captains' picks follow shortly after that opening ceremony. the The way that they're doing it is, if you're USA captain, say Mark Allen, in round one you'll pick first, then the European captain will have the second pick, having seen what you've picked, and then the rest of the world captain will be picking knowing the two athletes that they are going to put their athlete against mm-hmm. for the second match that order switches so it could be the european captain names their athlete first and then the us then the rest of the rest of the uh, rest of the world so it's there is a in the, when they do uh, the draft in the american football they call it a snake draft where they where you start with the first pick and then the next round you have the last pick so they'll the, the way they're working out is something like that. Oh, okay. So, so hopefully, what we get is the matchups that we want, you know, and that depends. So I think for a long time this year, people wanted to would like to see Fredino going head to head with Lionel Sanders, and we have seen that. We saw that in Miami. We had the the, the tri battle royale in Germany, where Fredino set the fastest time again over the iron distance. Mm. but perhaps after those we're perhaps thinking that actually Sanders isn't getting close to Fredino so is it really a rivalry and you know if he's a couple of miles back down the road and because he's not a quick swimmer he's Fredino's out and gone from the get-go so there's never the shoulder-to-shoulder aspect that you ideally want then maybe they're they're not the best two to go head-to-head and perhaps you're better off Lining up for Dino against, let's say, a young gun like um, like the internationals Kyle Smith, who is a who is a strong swim biker, and could could sort of lay down a bit of lay down a bit of the pace, and then maybe put uh, put Fredino under pressure if anyone can. So not quite a seventy point three distance, but longer than a standard distance. So it's going to be what three hour race? Do you reckon? Uh, I think so. Uh, okay. some, something along those lines. Yeah. The, yeah. Distances are top of my head. We'd have to stop and check this, but I think it's something like a 2K swim, 80K on the bike, and might be a 20K run. Okay. So, three hour race. Does each race start when the other one finishes then, or did they overlap? And will you have more than three people on the course at the same time? <laughs> There's some overlapping. When, when do the men race? Do the men race on the Saturday and the women race on the Sunday, or are they all going off on the same day? They all, it all takes place on the Saturday because on the Sunday, it's the Challenge Championship, which is an event that's quite well established now that they've been doing for the last right. good number of years. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of one of the highlights of the, of the of Challenge. So you have a few alternates, as they call it. Uh, so Andrew Starkovitz, for example, is, is, the, is the backup for the USA. So if one of the Collins Cup competitors gets injured then then Starkovic can can take his place mm-hmm. um but if not then Starkovic will race in the championship on the Sunday so are the guys that are racing in the Collins Cup prohibited from racing in the championship as well or or any of them good question up I don't know I, I don't know but I'm assuming they're not going to be racing the following day <laughs> that'll be interesting then a, a double bonus for that one anybody <laughs> who can back up and uh, maybe maybe some more 
Collins Cup points for somebody who can get a good result the next day, just to throw a <laughs> spanner in the works. It's definitely a thought for the next for the next one, yeah, for next year's. Great. Well, um, also culminating at the moment then, um, talking about races that are sort of being done and almost wrapped up, we've got the World Triathlon Series, almost, almost taking a back seat because it got going a bit slowly and then it's probably been overshadowed by the Olympics, but um, important for a lot of athletes, important for ranking points still. And, you know, when, when you're a world champion, you get to wear those stripes and uh, call yourself a world champion, don't you? So no doubt important for those people who are, have got a chance. So. Um, we had we had Montreal last weekend, didn't we? So, and that was a, 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 a different type of event because it was eliminated. So, what happened there? Yeah. So, depending on when this podcast comes out, we may have already had the the, the grand final in Edmonton. Yep. Um, you can. Is that right? Are we is it going to be coming out after that? What days the? Uh, That's the days? Edmonton grand finals this weekend. Yeah. So, so it'll be out, it'll it'll be out after. Yeah. So we're talking about an event that's already done. Okay, so <laughs> trying. So yeah, so so you'll 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 already know the results from for the um, for the grand final. So you'll already know if you're listening to this who the world champion is and who who has won the World Series. Um, after the Olympic Games, there was a couple of weeks break. Then they went to Montreal and they had an eliminator format, which is effectively a format they pinched from from Super League triathlon, where it was, but with a few changes. They did it over two days. The first day. You was was sort of the qualifying um, athletes that didn't make uh, the top. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think from the first either twenty or thirty, they went into a repercharge that gave them an opportunity. Yeah, athletes that didn't make in the top twenty went into a repercharge that met, it gave them the opportunity for a final ten slots to go into the elimination finals the following day. If you're with me so far, on the on the the following day. It was three rounds of a super sprint triathlon where 10 got knocked out from the first round, 10 got knocked out from the second round, leading the final round where 10 athletes went in a, in a short swim, bike and run until we had, uh, until we had, you know, winners on the men's and the women's side. And for all of that, the winners came out as um, Flora Duffy in Montreal, who was the Olympic champion. Um, she beat off uh, Taylor Nib, um, who is doing great form at the moment. And then on on the um, on the men's side, it was French domination. So Dorian Connings uh, with Vincent Louis in second, and I think um, Leo Berger came came third. So actually, for all the different change of formats, it was almost kind of the usual. Not everyone went to Montreal, and it was the the usual kind of pretenders that came out on top. Uh, then heading into Edmonton the following week, it was back to the standard distance World Series Grand Final that that we all know and love. So you'll already have you already know the results, but it looks like from the men's side it was going to be a shootout between Alex Yi, who was top of the rankings going in, versus Christian Blumenfeld. And on the women's side, Flora Duffy, particularly after a win in Montreal, looked like she's been in pole position. So I would expect. Um, you know, one of those to, to to come out on top. Although, who knows? Bike crashes and and the lot on injury can creep in, and you you need to finish the grand final really to get the points to be the world champion. So, mm. you know, we we may have had some upsets. I, I do quite like that eliminator format. I, I remember watching it first um, in the Aussie Surf Lifesaving competitions. Uh, and they also changed the order of events as well, which is probably where Super League pinched it from in the first place. So. Uh, uh, you know, don't kid a kidder and all that. 
Absolutely. Um, I think I don't think I don't think Super League have made they've made no bones about it that some of the their formats are not entirely original. And they you've had the um was it the Formula One series that used to be in Australia years ago yeah. as well? Yeah. Uh, this sort of triathlon. And you know, I think it's a reinvention of some of those series. Um, mm. But if you like the Eliminator or Elimination format, subtly uh, named, subtle name change there for, 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 for World Triathlon, then you can get your full of it because Super League have got their short four-week season coming in in September. So you've got you've got a month's full uh, month's worth of Super League racing and they're going from London to Jersey, Malibu, um and I think they've got one leg in Germany as well. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a difficult job isn't it being a professional triathlete these these days. I mean there are more races and so you can pick and choose what you want to do but but actually the racing goes on all year round and so for some people perhaps those who are on the edge of sort of earning good money um there's always the danger that you're going to overdo it by traveling too much and racing too much in order to uh, to just keep the money rolling in well this year more than anything this year more than any other because of because the way covid squeezed everything has had a big a big impact of course there was a memorandum of understanding between super league triathlon and world triathlon that they wouldn't overlap with their events hence super league putting in this four-week season in september which made a lot of sense it would come in after the grand final um however because hamburg which you you'll be well aware is, is a huge triathlon that normally takes place earlier in the summer because that got delayed that is actually taking place in september as well at the same time as super league super league are not particularly happy about this um and that will be part of the start of the 2021 uh, 2022, sorry, excuse me, World Triathlon Championship Series. And then you've got races, further races in Abu Dhabi as well, um, plus Bermuda. So the 2022 uh, World Series will will have three races done by the time we even reach 2022. Hmm. Yeah, and then a break, a bit, bit so mm-hmm. a, mid, a mid-winter break, like the Scottish Football League. Uh, a little bit like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, so the next big thing, we just get over the uh, excitement of the Olympics and then we're into the Paralympics next week, aren't we? Always fabulous watching, Um, amazing. We always do pretty well there. And the Paralympic triathlon, we've got plenty of medal chances. You're going to have to properly update me on this, Tim, because I'm a bit behind the curve on the uh, personalities racing here. Well, you need to you need to catch up to the curve. This is one of the races I'm probably more excited about than any of the others, in many ways. Or one of the events you said we love watching the Paralympics. Well, if you were in Rio wanting to watch the paratriathlon, you couldn't see any of it actually, unless you were in Rio, you might have been able to watch it because it wasn't broadcast on TV. So, paratriathlon in Rio was the first time they'd had it in the Paralympics, and Tokyo was the second time. That's a big breakthrough. Finally, there should be some broadcast footage of it, um, and it should be great. There's more categories. Categories have gone up from six to eight. And um, we have, from a British perspective, we have eight triathletes going, and every one of them is a medal contender. Okay. Start with the ladies then. Okay. Who have we got? Okay. So... On the women's side, um, one of the most interesting classes is the PTS-5 division, which is – so 
let's try and simplify it for, for, for listeners in terms of what the, the classes are. You have the wheelchair division, you have the visually impaired or blind division. You have those two. And then there are another number of divisions which are for more, which go from more to less disabled. So mm-hmm. P, PT, PTS2 is at the more disabled end, and then PTS5 is at the less disabled end. Um, that's quite crudely put, but ra- without having to go through all of the different explanations of what classifies different athletes for different things, it's probably the, probably the easiest way to do it to understand. The PTS5 division for the women is particularly interesting because we have Lawrence Stedman, who even if you don't know triathlon, you might remember from Strictly Come Dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's um, she's a world champion. Uh, she's a silver medalist from the Rio Para, Para Tri. And she's up against Claire Cashmore. And the two of them will have a fierce head-to-head battle. Both of them expected to get medals. And there's also an American called Grace Norman, um, who is a very quick runner. And she could be a threat as well. She's the reigning para para triathlon champion. So I would expect the medals to be divvied up between those three. And in what order remains to be seen. Both Claire and... um, both Claire and Lauren have arm deformities, whereas Grace runs with a blade on a leg. Um, and so, yes, and so, so typically she's uh, she can be pretty quick. Was Claire Cashmore based in Leeds at one time? I uh, do not know. She's now based in Loughborough. Okay. She's just, both Claire and Lauren are, are swimmers, former swimmers, have been yeah. competing against each other for quite some time. I think we had a para sw- I, th- I thought we had a para swimmer who was based in Leeds who turned to triathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. All right. So Lauren and Claire. So, Keep your eye on that one. Okay. Um, so anybody else in the ladies then that's uh, a medal contender? Yep. There's, if you go to the, the visually impaired, um, we have the two returning medalists from Rio. So you've got Alison Peasgood, uh, who was Alison Patrick then. She's now married. i as I understand, and you've also got Melissa Reed. Okay. So Alison took silver in Rio and Melissa took bronze. Both of them are medal contenders again. Uh, probably Alison would be more favoured, although the, the challenge in this division is they're both visually impaired athletes, but they will be gone, they will be going up against completely blind athletes or athletes that are so blind that they have that they they're categorized uh, categorized blind to give them a factoring advantage so they get a head start and mm. that could be the big challenge so they will have to catch up and it's three it's around three minutes 20 to 40 seconds um head start which is quite a chunk over a sprint distance so the spanish woman Suzanne rodriguez is going into this quite well favored because she is now classified as a, a blind athlete so mm. we'll have that advantage so that could that's where they've got their work cut out and of course, you have to have. Well, I guess if you're totally, totally blind, then you need your guides as well, don't you? So some of them will be on a tandem. Is that right? They'll all be on tandem. Oh, they're all. They they'll all, all have got guides. guides, right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all have guides. It's there's, but there's still a factoring, um, factoring in place. 
okay. um, be, be, because of uh, yeah, it's, there's a there's a bit of a history to it. But um, you know, people say, well, why can't they all make blind? Why don't they all wear blindfolds? And and there was a I think there was a court or nearly a court case which was to say, well, therefore you were making me more disabled than I actually am. So that's unfair. Mm. So you know, when you when you look into the the nuances of, of para sport, it can get quite complicated. Mm. But as it stands, we have a factoring system in both the, the men's and the women's visually impaired categories. All right. Do we have any more ladies then? That are, um, that do we, we have looking any? For? We do. Yes, we have Fran Brown in the PTS2 division, I believe. And Fran is a world is a world champion. Um, so she is also a medal contender. And when I spoke to the head coach, Johnny Ryle, he said if he could if you put all objectivity to one side and he had to root for one athlete in Tokyo, it would be Fran because she's had to fight some battles to get to get here. Um, and I, that's to do with some of the. That's to do with her. Um, firstly, she's she has spinal issues, which is why she competes in para triathlon. But then also stomach issues in terms of um, in terms of being to absorb um, nutrition and things. So. Mm. Yeah, so you know, good luck to good luck to Fran. I, I one of, one of the things that I love about watching the the, the para sports, particularly in the Paralympics, is you. I, I mean, we see some amazing. We saw some amazing performances in Tokyo recently, and you see some emotion, amazing emotional moments as well. But for for able bodied athletes watching something like the Paralympics, you just get to realise that there are no obstacles if you just just want to overcome something when you see the performances those athletes put in and i think that puts p- sporting performance and human endeavor into perspective somewhat yeah well, i think people take all different things from um from the paralympics there's certainly some of that and certainly some of that inspirational type stuff but then i also look at it that they're just elite athletes just trying to go in out there and do a job yeah um, and i think they should be you know viewed as such as well so mm. Um, and, then, and if we can find out, you know, their stories and become more invested in them, then then hopefully that'll give us, you know, then then I guess that's more rewarding, and we'll get more other people into the sport, you know. Mm. Okay, so uh, five ladies then. So you you mentioned that there were eight medal chances. Does that mean the other three are, are men, or have we got another lady good, to come? Yeah, good maths. I was going. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Uh, <laughs> Um, as long as I've got all of these right, yeah. So we've got George Peasgood goes in the PTS five division. So is he married um, to? Uh, you said Alison Peasgood was there. Is it, are they married, or is that just? That is now his sister-in-law. Ah, right. Okay. Right. So again, so George is the one to watch. He's um, George also goes in the road cycling, so he's looking to double up, and I'm pretty sure he's world champion in the time trial as well. Mm. which which he won um, back earlier in the summer. So George is, is great in the swim and the bike, very, very strong. Um, has a, a leg issue, hence being in, the, in this class, or leg disability, hence being in this class. And the two athletes is Martin, who, who, will, who are his main threats are, are Martin Schultz and then a Canadian guy, uh, Stefan... Stefan Daniel, I think. But anyway, they're they're quick runners. They're sort of you know fifteen minute five um, k runners. So George's challenge is to stay ahead coming coming out of T two. 
Right. And he's getting closer and closer. Um, I think he's down to his 5K time is, you know, down into the sort of high 16s and stuff now. So he's and, – and that went from sort of 20-plus at some point. So he's massive improvement. So, yeah, he'll be looking for a medal and and, and, and possibly even the top step. Um, your others on the men's side, you've got Dave Ellis, who's returning to the Paralympics for the first time in 13 years when he was a former swimmer. Mm. Um, uh, visually impaired and he's he's um, racing with, with Luke Howard as his guide and Dave's gold medal favourite going in so he he again has the challenge of he's a visually impaired athlete racing against totally blind athletes so it's the factoring that he has to catch up again but um, but yeah keep an eye out for Dave and then the final one is Michael Taylor who has progressed really well in the last year or two years he trains down in bath with vicky holland and um reese davy um and he earned pretty much earned his qualification through results in yokohama and leeds i think so no we've i mean we've had success in para triathlon before haven't we we got we had a few medalists in um in rio we had four doesn't sound like any of those names are coming back there though uh, yeah, you've got Lauren. Yes, they are three of yeah, three of them are. Yeah, you weren't okay. listening. So the gold medalist yeah. okay, is um, <laughs> Andy Lewis from the Forest of Dean. Is your gold medalist? He's not making return because his category is not included. Ah, and that pretty much ended his career. So it's pretty gutting for the guy because he trains for because the announcements weren't made until midway through the cycle. Mm. So he trains for a couple of years thinking that you're bound to have an opportunity to defend your gold medal and then it doesn't happen. So, yeah, so, when you were when you're talking about nuances and legal battles, I mean, my goodness, when there's nothing you can do about it because somebody decided your category was uh, expunged. Yeah, <laughs> Incredibly exactly. frustrating. It, completely frustrating, you know, and, uh, you know, and obviously they need to, they are expanding the categories and they are, need to give, bring in more categories and give more opportunities. But, um, yeah, so gutting for somebody like 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 Andy, um, and so for example, when we talked about Dave Ellis, there he didn't get the opportunity to race in Rio because his category wasn't selected, even though the women's visually impaired category was. And then, as well as Andy, so you've got the the two visually impaired women; they both won medals in Rio, and Lauren won silver in Rio as well. Okay, I stand corrected. Thank you that's for the right. updates. So, uh, and that's all taking that's, place uh, that's, later. yeah so that's the same time as that's the same time as the collins cup obviously time of day it's going to be if you're, you if you're listening in the uk it's going to be late night in the uk because it'll be an early morning start in tokyo all raced over the sprint distance and it's over two days so again check this but i think it's the 27th and the 28th is when the racing is taking place well what's what's the start day for the paralympics is um, is it next is it tuesday or wednesday or is it it's coming um, pretty quick yeah is it yes yeah, um it's gonna be within the next so 24th maybe so yeah okay great well looking forward to that one then mm. um, and that's all going to be uh terrestrial viewing is it bbc i think it's on channel four okay um but yeah i mean i would check anything i say i would certainly check out if you're looking for actual uh you know <laughs> hopefully this information is accurate but um it should come with a slight disclaimer that i'm all doing it off the top of my head i'll do all that and i'll put show links in the notes below <laughs> okay <laughs> to the tv guide exactly <laughs> okay right so we've done all the stuff that's happening right now yeah, uh, yeah. in october we have the return of kona well uh, you, 
you probably we, know, you want, we you probably want to talk about 70.3 first. Oh, yes, good point, because that's coming up in uh, two or three September. weeks, is it? Yeah, That's in September in Utah, in St. George in Utah. Mm, not flat there, is it? No, it's not. And the course isn't, you know, oftentimes they do find flat courses, but but this one isn't particularly flat. And they went there earlier in the year and they had Daniela Reef smash the women's race to win that. Um, Emma Pallant-Brown w- was racing there and did well. And in the men's race, it was a, it was a fantastic sprint finish between um, Sam Long, American Sam Long and... Uh, and Canadian Lionel Sanders, which there's plenty of YouTube footage of that when they're sort of going head-to-head for the final 5K. Well, you know, what's interesting there is we talk about the Fredino-Sanders um, rivalry, but actually in terms of social media rivalry, those two are butting heads all the time, aren't they? There's a lot of banter between Sam and Lionel. Yeah, they're good. They're good characters, and they're definitely good for the sport. Um, and I think that 70.3 is going to be an interesting one because, you know, what athletes are going to go there um, – uh, who is who's going to be keeping their powder dry f- for Kona? You know, would we would we see, for example, you know, we'll have the Norwegians go in there, the likes of you know, could even Christian Blumenfeld go there, for example? You know, there's it probably probably he won't. He'll probably save save for Kona, but you've got the likes of George Goodwin, who's not been collected for the Collins Cup. He's probably going to um, he's probably going to go to the 70.3 and it's world championship opportunity. You know, it's one that Alistair Brownlee has tried to win a couple of times, but not yet managed it. So I expect Beck's and fireworks in, in the, in uh, Ironman 70.3 and, and will Daniela Reef go there and will anyone be able to stop her? Because I think she's got five of those titles already. So she's probably heading for a sixth. Yeah. I mean, it does make it a little easier actually, because if you're going from Europe and you're heading out to Kona, being able to go to St. George, it's in Utah, it's pretty hot at this time of year, so there's some heat acclimation that you can do. You can get in a race as well. You've probably got a week or two where you can uh, hang about there before going to the big island. So it may, logistically, it makes it a lot easier um, with your planning. But like I say, it just depends on who wants to keep the powder dry and um, who just wants to get another title. Yeah, I think so. I think it's worth keeping an eye on, though, because I think that will be... Um that'll be a good a good race on a good course mm. all right well let's talk about Kona I've been waiting to get around to this one um, <laughs> is it too, is it too early to do your top tens yet I mean well, I can't do your top yeah I can't do you a top 10 um at all I mean I've, there are probably a few things to say about Kona the okay. first one is that they've tightened up on COVID restrictions there but I don't know if you've been following the, the news recently so that it clearly puts a puts a challenge in. And now we're recording in mid-August and the race isn't until sort of second week of October. So as we know, of the past 18 months, things can change, but it's a bit of a worrying sign for them. Mm. I, I hadn't heard that, actually. I do have I do have some friends out there um, who live there and that I've, that I've made over the years and they've not mentioned those. So what, what have they what have they done there? Have they um, tightening up on um, on visitors or just making it difficult at to get well, in the there bits with PCR tests. Again, the, the bits that I've read is that they've had a spike in spiking cases and they've just put restrictions in how, the meetings, how many can meet in one place, how many can meet indoors, how many can meet outdoors, um, and then you know, making decisions about what kind of tourism events they are going to welcome going forward. Mm. Um, clearly, the Ironman World Championships is a big one for the Big Island and they're, 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 they're going to try and want to get it on at, at all costs. Um, but whether they will have to do some adapting, I don't know. You know, even if you know, an absolute worst case, and obviously people hate me for saying this, but if you end up 
not having an age group race, but just having a pro only race, um, how they would feel about that. I don't know, but yeah, it's like, like so many things with, um, with COVID check it out and watch this space. I think. I mean, it's not going to be much of an age group race anyway, as things stand at the moment, regardless of what, what it's like going into Hawaii. If you're from most parts of Europe, you can't actually travel to the United States and you do have to enter the mainland first before getting over to Hawaii. Um, Australian Australians aren't allowed to leave the country and neither are Kiwis, I understand. I'm not sure about Canadians. So there aren't going to be many nationalities actually able to race amongst the age groups, even if that race goes ahead. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. There's, there's, there's all manner of hoops to jump through, right? So, yeah, mm. difficult to say. Um, as for the pro, as for the pro side, it's. Um, let me. T- I can tell you now. There's the, currently the, uh, 43, 43 women are qualified, mm. and forty nine men. Have, have they drawn a line under the qualifying yet? It's normally at the end of July, middle of August, isn't it? Yeah, it must be. I think the last weekend is possibly the weekend coming up because I know Lionel Sanders. Again, you, that will have happened already when you by the time you listen to this. But I think Lionel Sanders was going to Copenhagen to try and get his spot. Nice to see David McNamee clinch his spot by coming third in in Frankfurt at the weekend. He's the best place British male ever with two podiums in Kona, and there are plenty of women going. Yeah, on the female side as well, British women going. I should say. So Can you Laura Siddle, remember? Nikki Bartlett, Chantelle Cummings, Katrina Cat- Matthews, yeah. Ruth Astle, Simone Mitchell, Lucy Charles Barkley. So, yeah, whether they all travel, whether they all race, but lots of names. Alistair Brownlee's down for the men's side as well. Mm. All right. So this is a watch this space really, isn't it, for Kona? It, so It, it make- is. I think that the two things from my side that make it interesting at this point are when you look at the start list and you look at who's going, it comes back. Although we've had such a lot of change in the past 18 months, it still it comes back to, on the women's side, Daniela Reef will be the strong favourite. Lucy Charles Barkley will probably lead for much of the day. And Annie Haug, who is the reigning champion from 2019, is probably going to storm through on the run. Those are the things we would have expected had we gone last year and what how it, how it turned out the year before, although Reef had a, a, you know, a poor race in 2019. But it seems to be set that those people with the Kona experience and and the Kona expertise are going to be there again. On the men's side, similar. similar. We've got Jan Fredino, who could become the first uh, male age 40 and over to win the Ironman World Championship, going for a fourth title. And then you've you've also got Patrick Langer, who raced so well in Ironman Tulsa earlier this year who's going to come through strongly on the run. And when you're looking other than that, it's you, you, you then say, well, who can actually challenge them? The only And so there's another interesting point is around the Olympic champions that were given invites. Christian Blumenfeld, probably probably more interesting because Flora, although Flora Duffy from Bermuda was given a, an invite from winning Olympic gold medal, I'm not sure whether she's going to take it. And the, the noise is coming out sound like she probably will turn it down, whereas Blumenfeld's been very outspoken in the fact that he is going to Kona and he wants to go and do a job there. So (laughs) if he's already won the World Triathlon Series Championship this weekend, he's got the Olympics, he would then have the the world title and it would be some treble never been seen before in the sport. So I think that is quite interesting. Also joining him will be Gustav Eden, who's his training, training and racing buddy, 
um, who won the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in 2019. So he'll he'll be there. Although Casper Stornes, who tried to qualify in Frankfurt, missed out after blowing up on the run. Mm. Yeah, no, Norway. In, we should be, we should be doing a uh, a podcast on Norway. I think they seem to be. Um, they seem to be doing something right with their endurance athletes, don't they? With Inga Britson and Varholm and um, the triathletes. There's something mm-hmm. in the water there. It's Well, you've got to be careful when you say comments like that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, yes. Uh, I mean, it, meant, it meant in all innocence, I have hastened no, to No, sure. I, I mean, I, I spoke to um, Harold Tvetten, who is the Norwegian head coach, Um of the triathlon team, and there's a, there's a couple of things that, that jumped out as to why they do they are doing so well. Um, their attention to detail is 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 huge. So for for one example, might be they like to get their athletes running at a threshold pace, so a lactate threshold or just under for their interval sessions. Let's say Christian Blumenfeld has a is doing two k interval sessions. After every session, they will he will after every two minute interval two k interval. Sorry. He will have his blood lactate taken. They will do the reading, and then, then that will set the pace for the next interval, and they do that all within 60 seconds. Now, there's probably not many training groups that are doing that just to make him sure that he runs specifically at the right pace. They do that, and they individualize that for all their athletes. So that was one thing that jumped out, and they do a lot of this type of interval work. The other thing is, and I suppose you could say this about Flora Duffy as well, is because they're working in such small groups, they have a lot of autonomy as to what they do and how they do it. So they're not they're not uh, beholden to, you know, performance centers or performance directors or a broader, bigger, um, you know, triathlon federation in the way that they are in Britain or the way they are in Australia or the way they are in Canada. And particularly Australia and Canada, if you look at the news around those of those two, there's been some big underperformances and some big blow-ups and disputes amongst the federation over this mm. Tokyo Olympic period. Well, with the Norwegians and then again with Flora Duffy training, racing for Bermuda, you have none of that. So it just makes it a lot cleaner and a lot simpler. So that's a, you know, it could be not the only reason, but a couple of the reasons why they're doing so well. Mm. We need to get yourself and Stephen Seiler on. He's uh, he's a, a, a regular guest on here and he's, fixed in stock uh, not stockholm in oslo there so uh, maybe he can give us an insight his daughter's actually a very good endurance runner i think she's 1500 meters so maybe she's on that same upward path as well yeah Silas is the one with the polarized training isn't he i know he's a yeah yeah very much seen as the as the main man on that score interesting to know if they use those same principles in in triathlon um i did see something from blummerfeld's coach that's saying that about 80, 90% of his cycling work was done and they were talking about the lactate work about less below one millimole. So that's pretty much resting state of mm-hmm. lactate production, um, which is huge really, because that is for most people that are, you know, that is just really easy training, really mm-hmm. easy for, for most people would be bored at that level and feeling like it's not doing them any good, but the volumes that you're able to crank out on a daily basis without getting any stress hormone release is, is huge. Um, and that's and that's the basis, and that, that's the principle around which the Brownleys built their success was just years of um, low intensity but high volume work with with some sort of high intensity work sprinkled in. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I didn't mention when when I first spoke when I spoke to Harold. The first thing that he mentioned was, 
you know, it's volume. That was the first thing that said we do a lot. We're known as doing a lot of volume and we do do a lot of volume. So then they make no apologies for that. Mm. Well, that's the seal of principle. Number one at the bottom of the foundation, frequency and volume, as much as you can handle. And then add a little bit of intensity. So yeah. it seems, seems to be working. <laughs> well, it's all very well if you're a pro. <laughs> well, I mean, it, those those principles still work well for age groupers. I think that the, the thing where where it goes wrong for recreational athletes is that because they're restricted on time, um, instinctively then they feel like they need to train harder in order to make up for the lack of time. But then because you're pushing on harder and you've got the stress of your day job, you, you get you get ill or injured from other areas. You know, and um, so you don't get the consistency, and that's what it's all about. To start with, isn't it? It's building the consistency. Yeah, finding uh, the balance is the challenge. Well, talking of consistency, British triathlon have consistently been at the very top of the world rankings for the last ten years. But um, we know that the girls are looking strong, and there's been a sort of a turnaround, hasn't there, between the um, where the dominance has been in terms of success from the Brownleys and and coming from the male side to now. Um, uh, Jess and um, Vicky Holland and non before her and uh, Georgia now as well. But who are we going to be looking to in the future? Uh, well, next year you've got the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So that's going to be a focus for, for triathlon and triathletes. And we might find one or two hanging on. You know, I know Non Stanford would like to compete for Wales there, and she went to University of Birmingham. She mentioned that. I know I spoke to Tom Bishop, and he he quite fancied having a having a go for England in, in the Commonwealth Games there as well. So I don't think we should write anybody off off yet. You know, mm-hmm. Commonwealth Games medals is they're great ones to have and a great experience, and especially when it's on home soil. Uh, in terms of the the women's side, I mean, if we look at the Montreal race just gone, we had Sophie Caldwell who is doing particularly well. So, you know, developing really well, trades with Jody Stimson um, and was on the podium in Leeds earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. Just a really consistent, really strong triathlete who, who, who performs well over swim, bike, bike and run. So in terms of Paris, you know, she was the reserve for Tokyo. Um, and in terms of Paris, you'd probably think she could definitely be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia, Georgia Taylor Brown is is not old. She could be there. Jessica Learmonth is, while she's she's older years, while she's not old in the sport, you know. And often we talk about the athletic age and how many years of endurance you've had. So there's an opportunity for her. I think it might Paris probably too far for Vicky Holland. Who I think is going to step away. Um, but you have others. You have Olivia Matthias who was in Montreal. You have Sean Rainsley, who was in, in in Montreal. There's also the intriguing prospect of Lucy Charles Barkley, who raced so well at Leeds in her first ever race of that kind of draft legal racing. And she she finished fifth there, I think, and showed that actually Paris could be could be um could be it could be a shot for her as well. I imagine she'd like to win the Ironman world title first, but if she tucks that away in October, then uh she could then clean a slate for, for, for yeah. Paris. So. I can't see Daniela saying, yeah, hold on, you have it this year then if you're going to leave the sport. <laughs> no, I don't think Daniela would say that, but uh, she might not have a choice. And then, of course, there's Beth Potter, who was performing so well at the start of, of this mm. year, you know, and she, although um, she's third, just turned 30 now, I think, um, she's still young in the sport. 
And um, although she didn't make Tokyo, you know, she's a, she's a very fast runner. And if the course is placed to a runner's course in Paris, then she could be, um, she could do well as well. So lots to pick from. Momentarily distracted there by a message on the screen. But did you mention that she'd set the uh, road race 5K world record this year? I didn't mention that, but um, that is the, yeah, that is, is the fact. I don't know if it still stands or whether it's been beaten by now. But um, she certainly ran really fast. So, yeah, yeah, good performance. And and what about on the men's side then? I mean, I would think that Sam Dickinson might uh, might have something to say there as well on the on the Commonwealths. Although yeah. he'd, he'd be looking to get picked for, for England as well, wouldn't he? So um, that might be quite a strong, uh, a strong pot to select from. Yeah, on the men's side, it doesn't look perhaps as strong in terms of depth. But, you know, if you're looking for your main man would be Alex Yee moving forward. I know Johnny Brownlee said that he's done with Olympic distance or standard distance racing mm. now. But I just wonder, given his form and how well he did in Tokyo, it was a gold medal and he finished fifth in the individual event. Actually, he's still highly competitive at that level. And we know that not all athletes take to long course. And actually, maybe he, he might find that he just prefers doing the draft, the draft legal and wants to stick at it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't completely rule out the chance of him changing changing his mind. Um, you've mentioned Sam Dickinson there. Ben Dykstra is another one who is was always been hotly tipped coming through sort of a lot with Alex Yee um, and hasn't yet perhaps delivered. But um, you'd think that, you know, he has all the tools to, to become a great triathlete. So there's a there's a few there, but perhaps just not as strong as on the women's. Mm. Well, Tim, it's been great catching up. You've uh, brought me up to speed. There's nothing else we need to talk about, is there? I don't think. Nothing. We're, uh, I think we're good. How's okay. your training going? Well, mine's good. Thank you. Yeah, as you can <laughs> tell. But I'm not. I'm not in line for a Commonwealth spot yet. I need to. Uh, I need to up the volume. Clearly, keep working at it, or maybe change sports. Get my lactate meter. Um, get my lactate meter out and keep keep my lactate levels down. Yeah, and get yourself off to Bergen and find out how they do it. Yeah, yeah, I will pack my Bergen and go to Bergen. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a great catch up. Tim, thank you very much. Listeners, uh, please feel free to write in and tell us how amazed you were with Tim's predictions when you listen to this, because, of course, some of those events we talked about will be in the past. And maybe we will, when we get uh, clarity on what's happening in Kona in October, we'll come back and have a quick catch-up, Tim. Um, You might be able to do some uh, predictions then if we know it's going ahead and we'll be able to review that World 70.3 in the Paralympics. Yeah, happy to. All right. Take care. Thanks again, Tim. I think you now hold the record for being the uh, most number of visits to the podcast. So (laughs) wear it with pride. Thanks, Simon. Take care, Tim. Bye for now. Thank you to Tim for joining me again on the High Performance Human podcast. There are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. Hopefully you loved what you heard today. And if so, Please can I encourage you to subscribe to the High Performance Human podcast on iTunes and get new episodes as they become available each week. And while you're there, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Right, that's all for this week. I'll be back in seven days time with another great guest. But for now, stay healthy and please stay focused on being a high performance human in every aspect of your life.